Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see lives transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle. Please remain standing. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Say amen at the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This battle, this duel between Christ and the enemy encapsulates the palette of emotions that Satan will seize upon in your life. There's a couple of observations that I want to make before we dive right into the story. The first thing is, this was not self-inflicted wounds. This is not a moment where Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was facing the devil because the Spirit led him into the wilderness to fight the enemy. For those of you who serve God to get away from problems, I have really bad news. Somebody talk to me. You see, if you go to church so that all of your problems get less, that might be true in in some application, but I'm a witness that the longer you serve God, the bigger the giants seem to get. And if you're going to serve the Lord because everything's going to be good and gracious and kind, you'll end up worshiping demons rather than Christ. Because the devil is the one that offers a wide road paved with all of the glitter and dandelions that you want to enjoy in life. But it's a narrow road and a highway called holiness that leads to the kingdom whose city and builder and maker is God. God has decided that he will test his people. There will be seasons of temptation. Don't think you've outgrown temptation. There's a lot of people that actually believe they've served God long enough and they no longer have to face temptation. I've been to the nursing home. It's Sodom and Gomorrah over there. There will never be a day in your life where you're beyond it, where you're above it. 
Every day you have to crucify yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Am I right about it? Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to note something as well. Jesus wasn't tempted with power, money, and sex. He wasn't tempted to get intoxicated. He was facing not temptations of sinners. He was facing the religious temptations of saints. You see, if you're still wrestling over basic survival instincts of faith, I question whether or not you're sanctified and set apart by the authority of God. You may know something about God, but you haven't surrendered to God if you're still wrestling with those things that can destroy not only you, but all of the lives that are around you. Somebody talk to me. And I'm not talking about just being above and beyond temptation of, of seeing things or knowing things or being in, intrigued or intimidated, but I'm talking about someone who is still wrestling with the basic fundamentals of, no, you can't go to the bar and get stone cold drunk and then come home to your wife and then pretend like everything's going to be all right, show up on church on Sunday and then be dropping the F-bomb by Sunday night and, and raging down the road and call yourself a child of God. Somebody talk to me. You, if you're still wrestling with, with a lot of those bondages, maybe you just need to come down to the altar and get saved. Because when, you're, when you call on the name of God, you're a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new to you. Am I right about it? There are some things you need to get away from. You need to flee the very appearance of evil. Well, Pastor, you don't know what temptations I face. Yes, I do. You go to the bar. We can draw a picture for you. There are some temptations. Look, I'm in church. I'm, no temptation. I don't want to gamble don't want to get in a fight got my beautiful wife on the front row everybody else is in shadow <laughs> blinded by these lights it's a beautiful day i'm where i'm supposed to be when you're where you're supposed to be you're not tempted or you're being protected your dilemma falling into sin is you're not where you're supposed to be. The Bible says when kings were going out to war that David was on the roof of his house. And then he beheld Bathsheba bathing at the evening hour. Church, listen to me. If you'll just be where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, a lot of your temptations will not be temptations anymore. That's not a wilderness experience for you. I don't want you to take this sermon and believe that I'm helping you deal with what you're dealing with. You leave here and go to Hooters, you're on your own. Y'all not helping me enough. I'm about to make it real plain. There's a lot of people calling Christianity that's not Christianity. Can I get real for just a minute? They have a church in Las Vegas for strippers. They have a little club called Strippers for Jesus. Don't even want to talk about how they take up the offering. And they love Jesus. But when you commit yourself to living for the devil, you're not going to heaven. They have churches assigned strictly for homosexual believers. 
I'm not telling you that you should be beyond every temptation in the book, but you cannot define your life by the labels of sin and pretend like that label of sin belongs beside the word Christian. You cannot be this and a Christian at the same time. You can say, I'm tempted by all of that, but I've come out from among them, and I'm separate, says the Lord. I'm a child of God. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not going back to that. I'm not what the devil says I am. My name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. There are too many people calling themselves a child of God when you're contrary to the Word of God. The Bible says what it says, and you cannot go against the Word and label yourself as being led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Your wilderness, for some of you, is your own design. But I'm also a witness that that if you serve God long enough, you'll go through a wilderness experience even when you're close to God. If Jesus was led there and he faced the devil, you'll be led there and you'll face the devil. When he got there, he he was tempted in a way that preyed upon emotions that we don't call sin. You see, we worry about the big stuff. We worry about whether or not we have issues of language and issues of relationship and where we have broken covenants and those are the things we most concern ourselves with and we should be concerned i'm not trying to minimize avoiding those sins with with all passion and vigor but what christ was assaulted with are things that we overlook satan was not preying upon the big three he was preying upon fatigue Flattery, folly, and fear. Because those things aren't wrong. Christians don't label those as sin. And so when we fall to temptation in those areas of our lives, we don't feel guilty about it because there's really no penalty for it. But if the enemy wants to destroy your life, He's going to catch you when you're fatigued. Jesus had fasted 40 days. His body was emaciated. His appetite was destroyed. He was fatigued. He was hungry. He was exhausted. When Satan came in, he sought to convince him to solve his problem of exhaustion and fatigue by providing bread in the wilderness. And there are a lot of you that spend in inordinate amount of time explaining to others how tired you are. How your life is so frantic and full of fatigue. And you feel like you just can't put one foot in front of the other. Been on vacation 15 times. But all of us know that when you get back from your vacation, you need a vacation to get over your vacation. Some of you have been retired. You've retired on God. And you've said, you know what, I don't have to work as hard. And then a few years later, you come to me and you say something like this. You know what, I'm going to get a job just so I can get some rest. (laughs) You're tired, you're exhausted, you're fatigued. I believe that there are a lot of people that don't realize that that Emotion, that feeling in your life becomes a battlefield for hell. There are people who actually say, I'm too tired 
to go to church. I, I can't get myself ready. You know, we start the last service at 11 a.m. We are uh, the middle service at 10, the first service at 9. Let's just go with the earliest service we have, 9 a.m. If I were to say to these young people, I've got, I got some news for you. You're not going to school at your time anymore. From now on, you're going to go to school at 9 a.m. It's going to be full daylight when you get there. The sun is going to be blazing from the sky. And you're going to have a one. If I were to say to all of you that work here, you're never going to have to get up at 5 a.m., don't, don't worry about it. You're going to work 9 to 5. You get to go to work at 9. Or if you're in the middle service, 10. Or this service, 11. And yet there are people that say, going to church, 9 a.m.? How do you get up so early? 9 a.m. is not early, except on. Right? <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm up here preaching. This is my third sermon. Truthfully, I have difficulty sometimes completing thoughts in my brain by the time I get to the third service. And so I have to work hard to immerse myself in the passage and, and to make sure that, that I'm here, that I'm not just dialing it in and, and so I'm here overtime, and I think to myself, people who talk about how exhausting it is to go to church, I thought, you know what? I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's like the enemy's lying to you. You get exhausted truthfully when you're not doing anything. The, the most exhausting action is to sit in a car or a truck and have to drive it for long distances. It's mentally draining. Physical activity actually animates your life. You feel better after real exhaustion. The enemy has replaced exercise and physical activity with mindless interaction, brainless hobbies, Things that detract from your faith. And your life is filled up with leisure and entertainment. And you feel fatigued because you're not doing anything. And it is a trick of the enemy to seduce the thoughts of your mind and fill your life with the chaos of saying, you know what, I don't have to go to church. I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to go to the house of God and eat the bread at the table of heaven. I can make bread for myself in a deer stand. Mia, go crank the truck. Just pull it right up beside the church. I, I can make bread on the pontoon boat. I can, I can eat my bread here. I, I don't have to go to church. The closer you get to God, sometimes the less compelled you feel over the disciplines of faith. So that slowly over time, it's only those who feel distant from God that floods our churches. And those that get most spiritual among us often are the least faithful to the house of God. Fatigued. Wake up. Rise up, O captive daughter of Zion. How dare we get to the place where we grow, grow weary in well-doing. For the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run. 
They shall walk and not faint. There is a power supply in heaven that will rejuvenate your soul. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a power that God will invest in your life that will cause you to have the ability to attack the day. and Be what God's called you to be. I challenge you to fight fatigue with the word of God. Pastor, I'm starving. No, 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 no. You're not starving for what he's offering. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that which proceeds from the mouth of God. In the words of Jesus at the well of Samaria, when he saved that young lady from being lost in sin, he said, I have meat that you know not of. Is there somebody that can give me a witness that when it got terrible in your life and it should have been a day you gave up and depression knocked at the door and exhaustion was trying to tear down your house, that all of a sudden the Holy Ghost came in and a praise came from your lips and a word animated your life and you became the person God called you to be because God gave you a strength to overcome hard pressed on every side yet not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed for greater is he that is in me than he that is of the world am I right about it give God praise give God praise Hallelujah. The next temptation is a bit more nuanced with me. He took him to the temple, put him on the high pinnacle of the temple, and he said, cast yourself down, asking him to do something foolish. And then he said, because isn't it written in the word about you that he won't allow you to dash your foot against a stone? He'll send angels to serve you. Using flattery to create a fool. And I'm afraid that our culture is built on flattery. If you don't believe me, go sit in the hair salon. Man, they're doing some lying at the hair salon is all I'm trying to tell you. Now, I appreciate it when they lie to me. Oh, you look 10 years younger. Say it again. Talk to me. Mia asked me, <laughs> Mia asked me one time, she said, when you get finished with your sermons and you ask me how you did, do you want me to tell you the truth? I said, no. No. Lie to me, baby. <laughs> Facebook is built on flattery. Heaven help you. If you get 10 likes, you're ready to write a book. I appreciate getting likes. You know what? I'm a little ticked off today about Facebook, though. And it's your fault. So I'm going to get this off my chest. And I don't want this put in the recording of the next week's sermon. I've been on Facebook, and I put pictures of me at waterfalls and different things. And I'll even post sometimes and write blogs or something insightful and I'll get 10 15 20 likes on that and people will share it and comment on it tell me how brilliant I am and I'll believe them and I take one picture of my wife on that Africa statue 
on the equator in Kenya. And she's on top of it smiling, closing in on 300 people. It's my Facebook. But Facebook is built on this false sense of acceptance, this distance from people that's built upon shallow flatteries. I hate to say it, but our education system is becoming a place of flattery. There are school systems, thank God for Buford City Schools, but there are some school systems where you can't use red ink. You can't tell the child they're wrong. They get to invent their own math, their own words. You just try and encourage them. You know the problem with not liking red ink is that stamp at the bank that says insufficient funds is red. When you're flying a plane, close is not good enough. When you're driving the ambulance, it doesn't matter if you have an opinion or a theory. You're dealing with life and death, and we're not preparing children for life that they have after school if we spend all of our time flattering them while they're in school. Talk to me, church. And you let colleges get involved where they spend thousands of dollars, and all of a sudden we pay our colleges and universities many times to simply flatter our children so that they graduate thinking they're ready for the world and all they are is ready for the classroom. They're prepared for academic interaction, but they don't know how to have a conversation. Somebody help me preach. I'm not trying to chunk just a few things under the bus. If I haven't really offended you, lift your hand, we'll chunk you under the bus. I'm trying to tell you... (laughs) I'm just saying our culture's built on flattery, and it's wrong. I mean, have you seen the movie the Kardashians are in? I mean, the, the no? Because they don't have one. Did you read their book? Were you there for the Congressional Medal of Honor? To the, no, you see that? Why? Because their celebrity is based upon the shallowness of our culture. It's not based upon the reality of soldiers coming back from combat who are the real heroes, the policeman who stands there every night and protects your house and mine, those nurses who go in in the middle of COVID and work for those those hospitals, those teachers who stand up there and teach our children and try and rescue them, those coaches of Little League, the real heroes of our culture are often overlooked because they've been replaced by flattery and shallow entertainment. And I'm telling you, flattery leads to foolish behavior and ultimately to failure. Flattered to failure. Flattered to falling right on your face. Pastor, God's watching over you. You know, cast yourself off the top. Come here, Manny. The Lord's watching over you. He'll let his angels overshadow you. Gravity doesn't apply to you. Because you're a child of God. So on the count of three. No. (laughs) And that's exactly what we let the devil do to us. We let the devil convince us to do foolish things. Flatter us into living in a certain way that's not right. And you'll end up ruining your life. 
You know the problem with being stupid is you end up hanging around stupid people. And then you end up marrying one of them. Come on, talk to me. <laughs> is this too raw? I feel raw. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> it gets worse. I'm fatigued up here. <laughs> if you get to the place where you let the enemy start think, making you think you're more than what you are, you better learn to laugh at you. You better learn to sit back and realize, no, 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 no. It's not about me. It's not about me flying through the air with superpowers so that people applaud for me. It's one of the shocking things, truthfully, with my colleagues in the Church of God, and I don't know if you know much about the inner workings of the Church of God, but it's an organization like any other, and it has all of the things that go along with it. And one of the things that's shocking to so many people when I engage is that I really don't care to have any position. I don't need any votes. I don't need to be appointed to anything. They keep making me sit on the stage at stuff so they know that I won't leave. <laughs> Pastor, at this conference, we want you to sit on the stage with the rest of us. It's a high honorable position. Yeah, I know what you're doing. You're just supervising me because you know if it gets bad, I'm walking. <laughs> you guys got a time when you go to the restroom a little bit better. Than... Anyway, um, Mark Rutland, he, was, he had a big deal not too long ago, and uh, there was a lot of pastors involved, and he said, Pastor, we want you to sit with us at the main table. We have a place for you. has your name there. We would like for you to be at the seat of honor. But his wife was there. She goes, we do that because you need supervision, and we know you're going to cause trouble if we don't keep our eyes on you. <laughs> be careful, church, when all men speak well of thee. And I'm a pastor. I stand on this stage. All the lights are on me. The cameras are on me. The television program at 2 is going to be about me. I, I preach three times a day, and, and I have all of these invitations. And if I'm not careful, I can get to the place where I think that matters. But I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. I, this is not greatness in me. This is weakness in me. The Bible says the weak among you will be made strong. God knows that I need group therapy to make it to heaven. And so he appointed me to have group therapy every week. I get to get in here and unload the most awful, dysfunctional things that I'm going through, and you pray for me while I'm preaching, and by the time I leave, I'm all right with God. Now, I know it's much more than that. I'm not trying to condescend to my position, but I need you to understand something. I'm not the guy that died for you. I didn't go to the cross for you. I didn't bleed. I didn't carry the, the crown of thorns on my head. I didn't walk on water. I, I wish I could do more than what I can do. All I can tell you is that I've got a king that lives in my heart, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of my chest. And so I can't claim to be everything that people think that I am. But what I can tell you is, He's everything he promised he would be. Man shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he took him to a high mountain, and this one breaks my heart. I'm going to tell you what I think happened. I don't have a lot to read into this. We cannot do a psychoanalysis of God, and so any inference on my part is, is just shallow thinking. But it is my thought, and I'll share it with you. I think when he took him to that high mountain... 
he seized upon something that was very precious to Christ. The devil said to him, I'll give you the world without the cross. I know this would have been a temptation to Christ because Jesus at the final stages of his ministry here on earth knelt down in a garden called Gethsemane. And he said, Daddy, I don't want to go. Please. Please. Do I have to be rejected? Do I have to be a man of sorrows? Can't there be another way? Nevertheless, Lord. Not my will, but thine be done. What Satan offered was the world without rejection and power without the cross. But I promise you, whatever you bow down to on the way up will own you when you get to the top. When I was 28 years old, I started pastoring a little church in another town. And the biggest tither in our church gave an extraordinary amount of money. And we needed that money. He also had a high position in the church and he was in a very important family in the church. I found out he was in sin. I confronted him. He said he would change. I led him to repentance. Sometime later, I privately found out he was doing the same thing. So I went to his house. And I said, you're going to repent or you're going to resign. But you can't do this and be in leadership in the church. This is wrong. It'll be between you and God. It'll take you to hell one day. He left my church and he took his money with him. And I remember pulling out of that driveway. And I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me. Two words. Well done. I said, for what? He said, there's a lot of pastors that sell their ministry to money early. And they become a slave to the offering. He said, because you refuse to bow, I'm going to fill your church with my spirit and with the money that you just rejected. It will be returned. And it was. God blessed us and he overwhelmed us. But I could not bow down. And I know the world puts pressure on the church. We're being asked to compromise with every particular wave of doctrine that comes into modern Christianity. There is pressure on the church to compromise on every sin that sits in our pews. But I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have the power of God. It's not our job to build great buildings to host people. It is our job to build a church that can and host the presence of God. I know that we don't want to offend people, but I'd rather offend people and host God than to please people and reject the power of God. Beware when all men speak well of thee. Our cross cannot be a bloodless stick. We cannot have Christianity without sacrifice. And I know that the devil comes to you and says you can have a Christian walk that doesn't have to be intimidated, doesn't have to make sacrifices, doesn't have to be rejected. But I promise you that's not Christianity. 
But I am also a witness that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil, for God is with me. No, sir, you can look the devil right in the eyes. Notice Jesus identified him for the first time in this story, letting you know that there is a time when if you identify the enemy, you can call him by name. And when you know what he's doing and you know what he's accomplished, you can speak to that devil and tell him to get away from you. I remember when Satanists broke into my daddy's church and they stole our sound system and they did witchcraft incantations on the pulpit. We came in with candles that had been burned to the hellish ambition of a, of a seance in our church. A pentagram was drawn on the pulpit. My dad came in there and we were having a little revival at that church and there were several pastors there. My dad used good theology. He got down there and he says, we're going to pray. He says, I want y'all to pray it with me. Devil, we caught you stealing. And the Bible says when you catch the devil stealing, he's got to pay it back fourfold. I want my sound system back, but I don't want the one you took. I want one four times better than the one you took out of my house. And I'll tell you one better. I claim the soul of the people that came on this property. They don't belong to you anymore. They belong to the kingdom of God. And I was there when my daddy received a phone call. That fellow was on his way to Texas. He turned around, drove all the way back to Oakwood, Georgia, and called my father. My dad went down to the jail and led that man to Christ. I was there when he came and testified to the entire church what God had done in his life. We went down to the enemy's camp and we took back what the devil stole from us. There are some of you, you've been wrestling and you're not calling it by the right name. You've been arguing with your parents. You've been arguing with your spouse. You've been arguing with your neighbor. You've been arguing about politics. You've been divided against everything that's unholy in your life and even holy in your life but you're not calling it by the right name you wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places call the devil who he is and tell him where to get off at God gave you authority in the name of Jesus to tell the devil to clear out called him by his name Satan you get away from me for it is written God sent his word, and his word healed them. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will not pass away. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. When you don't know what to say, let the word of God come out of your mouth like a wellspring of life, and you can take the word of God like a sword that pierces the darkness, and you can have great victory in your life. Stop quoting psychology. Stop quoting your friends. Stop quoting your social media, and go back to the word of God and use the word of God on the devil that's coming against your life. No, sir, for it is written, you shall not worship any other thing except God, him alone. Are you allowed or commanded to worship? Listen to me, church. I love the attitude of Christ here. 
He said, not, he said two things. Number one, I'm not bowing down to you. I may be in the wilderness. I may be starving. I might not even live through this. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to live in hell serving you. I'm not going to let my name be written down in your book. I'm not going to be one of your little minions that's intimidated and bows my knee. No, sir. I'd rather serve Jesus in the penalty of the wilderness than bow my knee to you and be owned in hell one day. No, sir. I'm not listening to you anymore. You can get away from me. I'm not turning the radio back on. I'm changing the station. I'm not going back on that website. I'm not going to listen to that thing anymore. I bind it in the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, you can get out of my life. I don't want the devil in my car. I don't want him in my house. I don't want him in my school. I don't want him in my business. You can just get away from me, but I'll go you one better. Not only am I not going to bow down to you, I'm going to obey my God, and I'm going to praise my God right here in the middle of the desert. I'm going to lift my hands and magnify his name because God gave me the high privilege of praise. Hallelujah. Can I ask somebody today just to praise God anyways? You've been listening to the devil. There's no food. You're broke. You're trying to get through the wilderness. You don't know what you're going to have to give up, but you're going to praise God anyways. Your body may be broken down. You may be tired in your body, but in your spirit, you're still ready to praise God. Somebody praise God anyways. Maybe you got a doctor's report that says you might not live through it, but you're going to praise God anyways. I'm going to lift my voice in the sanctuary and magnify my my God. Come on, help me glorify the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and stand with me all over the house. I, I want everybody to get in the pool here. Not Look, I know not everybody's from a Pentecostal background, and I, I'm trying to respect that. I do. I'm not normally like this <laughs> when I'm in an elevator. <laughs> but church, listen to me. There comes a moment. You know, you know the image that's coming to my mind, and I can't get it off. I'm trying to get away from it because I don't want to get sidetracked and not be able to get to my conclusion. But I keep getting this image of a table in the wilderness. Devil out there just fighting and fighting, and you're sitting there warring with the enemy, and then all of a sudden God goes, Oh, hold up. Lunchtime. Leave him alone. Sit right here. For I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies, says the Lord. Oh, come on, drink the water with me, church. Anybody ever found God in a weird place? <laughs> found God in the wilderness? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Yes, sir. I'm going to praise God. And then the Bible says, the Bible says that the devil immediately left him. 
You know what I sense going on in this sanctuary right now? I feel the devil leaving. Yeah. You keep quoting the word of God, he'll eventually have to leave you alone. You know, the devil used to torture me about being saved. You're not saved. You don't even serve God. You're not, you're not what you should be. And dad told me this, this principle. He said every time that the devil comes to you and says you're not saved, you just get down and say the sinner's prayer again. All right? Three, four, five times a day. <laughs> you're not saved. All right? God, in the name of Jesus, forgive me my sin. Come into my heart. Save my soul. Won't be a Christian. I'm sorry. Write my name. Two hours later, he back on the doorstep. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. Save my soul. After about two or three months of that, he quit. Because he realized that he wasn't going to convince me to quit. The only thing he was doing was convincing me to pray more. His temptation turned into a blessing because he had to leave and heaven came down and ministered to me and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Gave me a table in the wilderness. Gave me bread for my hungry soul. I didn't make my own bread. I found bread in Bethlehem. I found a lily in the valley. I found a precious rose of Sharon. I found a river that flows from his throne and it runs with crystal waters and it washes and makes clean again. I found a God that heals and delivers and sanctifies. I found blood that pardons and I found stripes that heal. I found bread for a hungry soul. I found water for a thirsty life. And God calls out to you today, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Stop dancing with the devil. Don't let fatigue, flattery, folly, or fear cause you to bow down to the enemy. You're a child of God. I bless you today. With the demon-breaking power of the Holy Ghost. I ask God to overwhelm you with his love. When you sit down in your car on the way home, I pray there would be a fourth man in the fire. That you would know that he is with you. May you be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. And blessed when you rise and when you lay down at night. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed Pastor Joey's word today. 
To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. See you again in the next podcast episode.